another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and as always, this episode is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. In today's episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different than what I actually had planned. Uh, recently, in a reading group that I conduct, we were reading J.P. Moreland's book, Love Your God With All Your Mind, and I was planning on sitting down today and doing a review of that book. I'm going to wait and do that next week. Uh, one of the reasons is there's actually two different editions of that book. There's a first edition and a second edition, and each one contains material that the other one does not have. So in the reading group I was doing, we were reading the second edition, just finished it uh, last night. We had our final discussion. And as I was preparing to do the review of that book, I thought, well, I'll look back at the first edition. It's been a little while since I've read that and review some of the material in there so I can at least give a presentation of the differences between the two books, at least a basic level, you know. And so as I was looking back through that, Moreland had a dis- section of discussing Uh, how to read books. And I'd forgotten that he had that material, and there's some really interesting material there, I thought, in relation to our podcast, since that's what we do here is talk about books and how to read books and things like that. So I thought I would take a moment today and discuss the material that Moreland presents about reading. One of the main things that he does that I find helpful is he discusses the difference between devotional reading and intellectual reading. And maybe that's something that Uh, doesn't stand out in your mind. I think sometimes when we think of devotional reading, you think about going down to the Christian bookstore and you see a bunch of really light, fluffy books that are meant to make you feel good, and they have very little substance at all, and we call that devotional books. And we begin thinking of devotional reading as something that is liberal, if you want to use that term, or something that's just very weak spiritual content, uh, the milk, if you will. And so We shy away from that, and we try to encourage people to do more substantive reading. That's actually kind of a bad knock on devotional reading. Devotional reading is the concept of having reflective reading versus intellectual reading or critical reading, which is where you're trying to disseminate material. Reflective reading, I think, is very important and helpful and maybe something that we don't do a lot of. Devotional reading is something that you ought to be practicing in your family if you're not already. You know, growing up, I took it for granted. Every morning, we got up, we sat down at the breakfast table, had breakfast together, and when we were done, we pulled out our Bibles and we did some Bible reading. Uh, of the evening time, before we went to bed, we sat down as a family and we read a chapter together. Now, we weren't reading the chapter to discuss uh, all of the different nuances of every single verse. We weren't giving structural breakdowns and discussing the, the roots behind certain words or verbs or the tenses and participles and all that stuff. That's not the type of reading we were doing. We were sitting down merely to read the Bible and to have a, a brief moment where we reflected on kind of the big picture view of what's going on in the passage. As we read in the morning time, you read a passage, and that passage can stick with you throughout the day. It's, it's important to read God's Word in a reflective manner, to think carefully and think long about what you're reading, not to take a huge portion of Scripture, just a small portion at a time, maybe a chapter at a time, and read it slowly where you can contemplate what is being said. You can think about parts that you haven't uh, dealt with much in the past, and just 
uh, chew it over, if you will, as you go throughout your day. A lot of families don't practice this. I remember sometimes I would go over to somebody's house, spend the night as, as a kid, you know, and go spend the night with one of my friends. And their father would say, hey, let's let's have Bible reading tonight. And all the kids would look at him like, what? Why are we doing this? We never do this. And it was because I was there. You know, my dad's a preacher. You got the preacher's kid over. You want to, I don't know, I guess show out or whatnot. But anyway, I could tell that it wasn't something they regularly did. It was very odd, so to speak, for them. And that's unfortunate. Uh, Bible reading as a family is a really important aspect of your children's education and their upbringing. Uh, One book that I would recommend that you read kind of drives home the concept of devotional reading, but not just that, um, just family Bible reading and studying together, is a book called Family Worship by Donald S. Whitley. Again, that is Family Worship by Donald S. Whitley. This is a very short book, easy to read, but a very provocative reading. It gives you the concept of what family worship is and having times of devotion that you sit down, you read together, you sing together, you pray together. One of the things I found very interesting as I was reading that book was back in the 1600s, uh, the Presbyterian Church is kind of the background of the author. The Presbyterian Church interviewed their members, the fathers in particular, to find out if the fathers were having daily worship with their families, if they were reading the Bible, singing and praying together. And if a father was not conducting family worship, they would withdraw from that individual and they would debar him from the services and the communion. Now, how radical that seems in our world. They viewed the neglect of family worship as the neglect of providing for your family. They recognized the father's responsibility to provide food for the family and also spiritual food for the family. Where would we be if we withdrew from brethren who weren't conducting family worship or having daily Bible reading together today? We've gotten away from it. It's become very lackadaisical. We don't even think about daily devotional reading. I want to share some books with you that I think would be helpful for beginning to practice daily devotional reading. Um, one that one set of books that we used growing up as a family was the Granville Tyler workbooks. I don't know if we've talked about that on this show or not, but the Granville Tyler workbooks, these little workbooks where uh, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing real special about it. It's not rocket science or anything. You read three or four chapters uh, out of a particular book, and then you answer 40 questions. They had typically 10 uh, answer briefly, 10 fill in the blank, 10 true, false, and 10 yes, no questions. And so you pick up, okay, we're going to start, start in Matthew. You read Matthew 1 through 3. You answer 40 questions about it, and you're done. Uh, the questions are just meant to cause you to reflect upon the passage. Another book similar to the Granville Tyler workbooks uh, that I found a while back and actually had reprinted. The only place you will find this book is on our website at christianresearcher.com. It's called New Testament Questions by E.M. Zur. A lot of times when people see that title, they think, oh, this is a book of questions and answers, and that's not what it is. It's not questions and answers by E.M. Zur. It's New Testament Questions by E.M. Zur. And what Zur did was he went through and he just asked a whole lot of questions about the text. And so you read a chapter and you answer the questions that Zer puts out before you. I think that's really helpful and beneficial reading. If you have small kids, people all the time ask me about books for children, and I don't have an extensive list of books for children. I basically have two really good books, and outside of this, um, as a new father, I'm trying to trying to find some material right now that maybe would be helpful uh, for my children and also for other parents who are in my same situation. But anyway, for right now, the two books that I recommend 
are Ms. Lee's Bible storybooks. One is about God's people, and one is about Jesus. And this is written from a Church of Christ background, really short stories for children, and then, you know, there's about five to ten questions based upon the reading. I remember as a little kid going to school, whenever I got home from school, Dad would have me sit down, and he would read to me one of Ms. Lee's stories, and he would ask me questions about it. And, and once I got to where I could read for myself, I had to sit down as part of my homework and read one of her stories and then answer the questions. That's really enjoyable material. It's been around for a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean uh, this this is material that Brother Linwood Smith used to take around with him and, and recommend to people. Uh, Brother E.H. Miller recommended these books. Long time is out of print for quite a while, but now it's back in print. And you can pick up copies of both volumes in our bookstore. Uh, we got one of the best prices around anywhere. Another couple books that I'll mention to you. I've, I've started doing some devotional reading recently uh, in, in the book of Psalms. Psalms is an excellent place to go for devotional type reading. You can read a psalm. It's a brief reading. Take it slow and just reflect on what the author was reflecting on. He may be reflecting on the grandeur of God, God's intervention in a difficult situation, his mercy, his grace, his truth. There's all kinds of wonderful reflective readings in the book of Psalms. And to help me in my Psalms reading, devotional reading, there's a book called Psalms by the Day by Alec Motcher. Alec Motcher is from a reform background. And he's, a, he's a good scholar, and he's put together this book of daily devotional readings out of Psalms. He'll take, you know, anywhere from two to four Psalms, depending on the length, depending on the grouping of the Psalms, and put them together and give footnotes if you want to read the footnotes for a little bit more critical read. But at the end of the two Psalms, or however many Psalms for that day, he has a summation statement for some things for you to reflect on and take with you. It has some meat. It has some substance to it. And if you want to do more critical reading, it's also there in the footnotes for you to pay attention to. I've really been enjoying Motyer's book, and once I get through with it in its entirety, I plan on doing a review and giving you some more details about, you know, the chicken and bones aspect. Are there some hang-ups along the way? A couple other books I'd mention to you. Uh, Simon J. Kistemacher. He may be familiar with the name Kistemacher. He was part of the commentary series written by William Hendrickson. Uh, but Simon J. Kistemacher has written one book on the parables and one book on the miracles. I've really enjoyed them. They're enjoyable books. They're not really difficult to read, but there is some substance to them. As you read along, he paints the picture really well, and he gives you some little tidbits that are provoking your thought. He's not chasing down all the rabbits, but he is giving you some uh, some seeds to plant and to contemplate and reflect and go and study further to find some answers to. And so his books on the parables and the miracles I've found quite helpful and very enjoyable to read. Uh, you can read one of his chapters in uh, five minutes or less and have something to think about throughout the rest of the day. He really shows you how to tell the story. Uh, one more that I'll throw out there is the Mark Commentary from the Doubleday Bible Commentary series. This Mark volume was written by R.T. France. R.T. France has written a really large technical commentary on the Gospel of Mark in the New International Greek Testament Commentary series, and he's also written an extensive technical commentary in the New International Commentary series. Uh, he is well-respected in the Gospel of Mark, done a tremendous amount of research, and this Mark Doubleday Bible Commentary is written in a devotional style. Each chapter is about 
two, maybe three pages long. It is not in-depth. It is not real critical, but it does have some provocative uh, thoughts that come to mind, and it causes you to read the text, reflect on it, and uh, internalize it, if you will. A good practice to do when you're doing devotional reading is to read slowly, uh, sit and reflect upon the material, and also pray about it. I don't know that we, we talk about praying as much as we should, especially in regards to what we are reading, but as we ha- have thoughts, if as we're reminded about the grandeur of God, for instance, you're in the book of Psalms, take a moment to pray and to reflect on the grandeur of God in your prayer as the psalmist was doing in his prayer that he wrote down. So there's some thoughts about devotional type of reading. I really hope that you'll consider doing some devotional reading. If you want to pick up some of these books that we've mentioned, you can find them in our bookstore, or you can write me, and I can point you in a good direction to find some material. Let's talk now about some intellectual reading. This is more or less what we talk about every week on the program, and some episodes in the past I have discussed some reading tips, and some of the reading tips that I have suggested, uh, Moreland suggests as well. I'll just go down the list of suggestions that he makes, and you might see some overlap, but that's okay. We learn from through repetition, and I think some of this will be helpful, and probably some of what I've said in the past was came from Moreland, and I've just forgotten that I've read it because it's been a couple years since I've read through this material. But anyway, one of the, the first thing that Moreland suggests you do when you're going to read critically is to remember the purpose for which you're reading. When you read critically, you're attempting to grasp the concepts, the structure, and the arguments that the writer is setting forth. And that is difficult work sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult to follow the argument. Sometimes it's difficult to grasp the structure. Sometimes the concepts are brand new and they're a little bit overwhelming. But it is work that is worth doing. So here's here's his suggestion. Number one, before reading a book, he's, he recommends that you overview the issues and the content of the book. And he gives a couple of suggestions that we've also made on this show. Is Number one, read book reviews. You have books that are book review books. We've talked about that in some commentary recommendations like D.A. Carson's book that uh, recommends and dissects New Testament commentaries, and Tremper Longman wrote one on the Old Testament. Um, There are book reviews on Amazon. There are websites that are dedicated to book reviews. This podcast gives book reviews. There's a lot of places out there that you can find book reviews. Uh, Take advantage of those and investigate the book that you're going to read before you read it so you have a general idea of the content and the structure of what's going on. As you read through these uh, book reviews, Moreland suggests that you form a thesis and a structure statement. So in other words, what is the purpose of this book going to be? What general positions do you, does it seem like this guy is going to take? And what is the flow of the argumentation that's going to go through? As you read through the book, this brings us to a second step. Read with a pen in your hand. And I'm a big advocate of that. I get people all the time that are reading and they can't find where they read something or they had a thought that came to them. And read with a pen in your hand. You can mark in your book. I'm okay with that. If this is a book you're going to keep, mark in it. It's your book. Who cares? It's yours. Um, Or get yourself a notebook. I know Brother Clint DeFrance does not like marking in any of his books, but he has a notebook, and he writes detailed notes as he goes through, so he'll have like a little collection of notebooks at the end of his life uh, to pass on to his children. Whatever works, but read with a pen in your hand with paper close by so that you can take notes. You can ask yourself questions as you go along and uh, note where you need to go back and do some further research. As you're reading with your pen in your hand, you're making your notes. See if 
how his structure flows and see if it matches up to the concepts that were introduced to you in the book reviews that you went through. Number three, if you're going into a new area of study, Moreland suggests that you start with a brief introductory type of a volume. I think that is a really sound piece of advice. If you're going to study, for instance, the Gospel of Mark for the very first time, you know absolutely nothing about the book, it would be much more beneficial to read Mark's Doubleday Commentary by R.T. France than to pick up his New International Greek Testament Commentary. Introduce yourself to the basic principles of what's going to be going on. For instance, in the book of Psalms, if you've never studied Psalms before, read Psalms, there's a really interesting book written by Tremper Longman III. It's called How to Read the Psalms. And it's just giving you some basic background information to keep in mind as you go through the book of Psalms. Really helpful introductory material. That's the type of stuff you need before launching into an in-depth critical study. Number four, Moreland points out that you need to note the main arguments within the text. What I will do oftentimes, especially when I read a debate, is I find the whoever gives the first speech, they're in the affirmative, and I go through and I, I put a number in the margin beside each argument that is introduced so that I can go through and, okay, he, he made 20 arguments in his first speech. Now let's see if the guy that's in the, in the negative goes back and deals with his 20 questions. If he doesn't, maybe there's a reason that he overlooks some of them or he doesn't want to do it, do it, deal with some of the material that was presented. But it's not just in a, a debate book that you do that type of a reading. All theological writers, as they're writing critical t- content, they are interacting with people that disagree with them, and they are trying to give a firm, solid foundation for the material that they are setting forth. So every time that they make an argument, make a note of that in the margin. Uh, Maybe give yourself a brief summary of what the argument is and see if he goes through logically in the presentation of his argument and actually builds his case, or if he is building a straw man argument, or if he's uh, just asserting his position. That's really a helpful tip. Number five, Uh, Moreland suggests that you summarize the subsections of the book. Usually a a chapter in a good book, a critical book, is going to be subdivided within each chapter. Go through each little subsection, see if you've gotten the point at the end of each subsection, and then write a little summation note about what took place in that subsection. And then once you're done with the chapter, go back and give a review of the chapter to see if you can follow the flow of argument throughout, how all the different pieces went together, so to speak, to make that puzzle, and then you're going to be able to show how that chapter fits in with the other chapters in the book. This is how you do critical reading. Number six, uh, write a response to parts of the book that you disagree with. Don't just note it, but write a response to it. I do this all the time in books. I'll be reading through a book. In fact, I did this while reading Love Your God With All Your Mind. There were some parts that I disagreed with. And in my margin, I wrote wrong, and then I wrote a brief explanation of why it was wrong. One of the things we do in our the reading groups that I conduct is I'm giving guys some material that they haven't read before, maybe on subjects that they haven't read before, maybe some material that's a little bit over their head. And so it's it's kind of difficult to go through and do the reading. And one of the readings reasons I give out that type of material in a reading group is to challenge people to read in areas and to learn in ways that they haven't done before and also offer them a safety net so that they can benefit from it the most. And so as I'll go through, I go through the discussion with them. I ask them questions about what they've read. I ask them if there was positions, places where the author kind of went off track, taught something false, or whether uh, they were able to understand the argument that was being made. 
In areas where we disagree, I point out, here's where I disagree with this author. Here's why. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. But here's both sides of the position for you to take and study further. We need to learn how to do that, to interact with material, to learn how to respond to positions that we disagree with, and to, to be able to better present positions as a result of that. The last step that he suggests doing is after you've read a book in its entirety, you've marked your subsections, you've marked your chapters, to go back and write an index and place that on one of the blank pages that's either in the front or the back of the book. The reason is you're going to read a book and you put it back on your shelf and you may not pick it up again for two or three years. And you remember, oh, you know, um, there was there was something about how to read a book in Moreland and there, there was one point in there about notating the section. I, I don't remember where that was. I thought that was an exceptionally good point whenever he made that. Make yourself an index so that you can list the really outstanding points in the back of the book so you can easily find them in the future and go back and review it. I'll get, share a couple other things that Moreland points out in regards to intellectual reading. He encourages people not to judge a book based on the immediate application that they find after one chapter. And the reason he says that is because a lot of times it takes an author two or three or six or seven chapters to fully develop the point that he's making. You can't give it all in a little bitty nutshell, if you will. A lot of times we tend to want material that is directly applicable, that we learn something from instantaneously, that is really provocative, and it moves us. And if we, don't, if we aren't moved in the first five pages, then we just put it down and go on. And what he's saying is some authors are worth reading and the material's worth doing the work through, but it's more of a cumulative effect over five or six chapters than it is an instantaneous point uh, right there at the beginning. So bear with an author and give him time to develop the material. Number two, he encourages people to read beyond their ability to grasp. And what he means by that is, is not read something that's completely incomprehensible to you, but if you can read at, say, on a scale of 1 to 10 at a level of a 5, pick out a, a book that's on like a 6 or a 7 and just push yourself a little bit. Read a little bit over your head so it stretches your mind and forces you to work harder. If you're simply reading books that are easy to grasp and are, are, are light and fluffy, they're not going to challenge you to develop your mind. And one of the reasons you read intellectually is to be challenged to grow. And so sometimes you have to read books that are over your head. I do this quite frequently. I'm... I know very little Greek. I know my alphabet. I know some basic words. I know how to how to use uh, a dictionary and a lexicon and things like that. But I can't just pick up a Greek New Testament and read Greek and understand what's going on there. Um, people can explain to me the tenses and the of the verbs and and moods and all that stuff, and it makes sense. But I'm not readily equipped to deal with all of that. Yet frequently, I read books that are critical commentaries that deal extensively with the Greek, uh, because I have to challenge myself to uh, think beyond the easy boundaries of what I typically work within. And I think that's a really good and a healthy practice. You're never going to learn more by simply dwelling on what you already know. The third thing that he points out is that you need to be an active reader. Whenever you sit down to read intellectually, you are going there with a purpose, it's going to take work, and you are going to have to work at it. If you have read a chapter and you look back and you don't really remember what the chapter was about or the structure or the flow of the argument or anything, you've not been reading cri critically or actively, you've been reading passively. You need to be able to remember what's going on in a chapter and how the argument flowed from one end to the other. The three points 
that he really stresses as you go throughout the book is structure, structure, and structure. I didn't really appreciate the concept of structure until a few years back, and structure is critical whether we're talking about reading Moreland's book or a commentary or the Bible, because there is a structure to the flow of thought that any author is setting forth, and if you do not grasp the structure or how the story is being told, you are going to miss the point that is being placed before you. And so structure, 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 add a little bit more structure, have a side of structure, always be thinking about the structure. Try to think about how it break, be able to break down a chapter of the Bible or passages of Scripture into uh, helpful compartments, if you will, that you can reflect on and get the overall grasp of what's going on in a section or within a book. So those are some reading tips about both devotional and critical or intellectual reading. I hope that's helpful. There is a little bit of overlap from previous episodes, but I thought it was is really helpful material to put all together in one place, and maybe that'll be some, you know, a little bit provocative for you in your studies. If you want some of these books, you can go to our website, find them at christianresearcher.com. We appreciate you listening to the program. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to do a full review of the second edition of J.P. Moreland's book, Love God With All Your Mind. It's a really fascinating read. I think a book that every person should read, especially college students and young professionals, uh, upwards. So tune back in as we look forward to to discussing that material together. If you have questions about what we've gone through today, questions about other book-related topics, you're looking for suggestions, or you want to have a book reviewed, message that to us at christianresearcher at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to get back in touch with you. Thanks, have a great day, God bless. Better is our sacrifice, He paid the, He paid the price, the price. He paid it all upon the cross, no longer bound by sin or with the eternal loss. He took my sin, washed it away. When I was immersed in that watery grave, I heard that gospel call because He paid it all.